Uniquely Gifted. Thank you for joining Dyslexia Uniquely Gifted, where biblical truths are shared. My goal is to uplift and challenge you today to find a place for dyslexia in your life and let Christ take center stage of your life. Oh, one more thing. I want you to know you are the most courageous person I know, even though we have never met. Our journey informs me that you are indeed courageous. You're gifted, you're smart, funny, and kind. So please pause for a moment, take a deep breath, and be blessed. Today we're going to be looking at the eighth book in the Bible, which is called Ruth. It's a very short book. It's only four chapters, but it's a powerful book. I'm going to read to you verse 1 in chapter 1, and it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went out to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now we'll go down to verse 3, and it says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. It appears that because of a famine that was taking place in Bethlehem, Naomi and her family, they moved to Moab to live. She had two sons. We don't know how long after they moved there that Elimelech died, but he does. Then as the story unfolds, the two sons marry Moabite women. And in verse 5, it says that the two sons died. Now picking it up in verse 6, Naomi decides that she is going to return back to Bethlehem. And she shares this with her daughter-in-laws. And they too decide that they were going to go with her. She tries to talk them out of it, but they are insistent on going back with her. Well, as they start off on their journey, she once again encourages them to return to their home. Now, Ruth is the only one who decides that she is going to continue on. The other daughter-in-law decides that she was going to go back home, and she does. So they journey on to Bethlehem. Now, this story, once again, is about Ruth, but I am very taken with Naomi. And I think it's because she is really, really grieved. And you find this when you pick up the story in verse 20. Now they have arrived in Bethlehem. And as the story goes in 19, a group of people approached them as they entered into the city. And this is what is said. It says in verse 19, So they went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? Now listen to Naomi's response in verse 20. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21, I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Naomi's response reminded me of a passage in Job, wherein Job says in chapter 6, Oh, that my grief was thoroughly weighed 
and my calamities laid in the balance together. For now it would be heavier than the sands of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drink up my spirit, the terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. You know, trials and afflictions are not evidence of God's displeasure. In every affliction, God has a purpose for our good in every trial. You know, the pruning may be painful for a time, but afterwards, the Word of God tells us it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I struggled initially when I read these four chapters, because, you know, four chapters doesn't take long, to determine what was the overall principle I wanted to share with you today. And here it is. God has a purpose for every trial. Now, once again, what is a principle? It is a fundamental truth that we take firm hold of. It is the foundation on which we stand. And we're always looking for that fundamental principle in God's word. As I shared with you before, I'm not good at memorizing scripture and where it's found, but the Lord has taught me to look for the principle he's seeking to teach us. When I remember the principle and apply the principle, I have noticed the Lord puts in my memory the scripture itself. I like the way Paul described consolation when he speaks to the church in Philippi. He says in Philippians 2, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. You know, we find Adam being introduced to this word consolation after being driven out of the Garden of Eden. Before he sinned, he would not have needed to understand the word consolation. He would not have been able to relate to it. Oh, but after his departure from the Lord, he clearly understood what it was to be consoled by Christ to all who will come to him as to a father. Now let's go back to Naomi. She says, Call me not Naomi, call me Myra, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Here Naomi pours out her grief and disappointment towards those she once knew. You know, the narrative moves on. Did you notice? I think it's because we don't always know what to say. We don't always know how to comfort people who are experiencing such grief. She's clearly hurting. But as with grief, we need Naomi to move on so that we are okay with her loss. No one seems to pick up on that. And so the story moves on. You know, she believes that the Lord is against her. But like Job, she doesn't understand why. This story begs for someone to console her, to set the record straight about the Almighty. In her emptiness, she cries out, Don't call me Naomi, which means in the Hebrew, pleasantness or gentle, someone who has contentment and happy with their life. No, 
That's not the person she is today. Naomi holds her grief close to her heart, but she is able to focus on her daughter Ruth, whom she clearly loves. Now the time frame is missing throughout the narrative, but as we should expect, the Almighty has not forgotten Naomi. Let's read this in Ruth chapter 2. And it says, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he, the Lord, who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Something has shifted in Naomi. She is now able to recognize the hand of the Lord and the blessing of keeping her husband's name alive. All is not lost. And guess what? Her friends did hear her heart. After Ruth and Boaz married, it was the women who brought her comfort. We picked that up in Ruth 4. And it says, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which has not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine own age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loves thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. I want to add a second principle to this story, and that is God is our consolation. So there's two principles. God has a purpose for every trial, and God is our consolation. Now remember that a principle is a fundamental truth. And that truth is the foundation on which we stand and it governs our daily life. So how do we stand on these principles? My fellow dyslexics, this is a beautiful story. God has not forgotten every unkind word. Every time someone has said something such as you're stupid or you're lazy because you can't read. Every time we were made fun of or left behind. The principle is still true. God is our consolation. A couple of years ago, I did a podcast series on grief related to dyslexia. I think now if I were to do a sequel to that podcast, I would take a different position on grief. Why? Because I now know that I haven't lost anything. Society has done a very good job of treating me less than whole. I have dyslexia. I am wired differently, and I learn differently. And I say, what's wrong with that? You tell me, what's wrong with that? What I have learned over the past three years since I have been podcasting, that there is nothing wrong with me. There is nothing wrong with you, simply because you have dyslexia, simply because you struggle to read. There is nothing wrong with you or me. But as I think back, I have been bitter. I have been ashamed of. I have been frustrated. I have been disappointed. And not knowing it, I did the same thing Naomi did. Don't call me Hope. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me because he allowed me to have dyslexia. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call me Hope? seeing the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me with dyslexia. You know, Naomi's loss of her husband and her two sons were real. 
She grieved their loss deeply, but that wasn't the end of her story. Because of her loss, she learned to say, Blessed be he the Lord. What Naomi did not know was that the Lord had chosen Ruth to be the lineage in which David, King David, will come through and ultimately the Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if the Lord had told that to Naomi, do you think her thoughts about losing her husband and her children would have been different? We don't know. It probably would have helped. But my point is, because the Lord has a purpose for all of our sufferings, all of our afflictions, one being to grow us up, to shape and build our character, he is also fitting us for a greater work. And I say that to you, my fellow dyslexics. God has not wasted any of our sufferings. He is using it to do something greater. Now, when I say the word great, I doesn't mean we're going to end up being president of some company. Of course, that could be. But the great work the Lord is doing in us is salvation. And whatever he has slated for us to do, he is preparing us to do it. And we're going to have to suffer some things that are not very comfortable. But when we turn around and we look back at what God has done, we wouldn't have had it any other way. When we put these two principles together, here is the foundation to me. Somewhere along the line, we're going to have to turn all of this dyslexic stuff over to the Lord and let him have it and let him use it for his glory. That doesn't mean that the suffering and the afflictions and the things that we, go, the things that we have gone through didn't happen and it's not real, but we're going to have to change our attitude about why. Why the suffering? You know, someone once asked me, why do I tell people that I have dyslexia? And my response to her was this, because it erases the shame and someone out there needs to know how real God is. What have I learned through Naomi? You will see the good in all that he does. Thank you for listening to another episode from Dyslexia Uniquely Gifted. If you know an adult with dyslexia, please share these short devotionals with them. For more devotionals, please visit my website at www.wrpublication.com where you can read or listen to archive shows. Thank you again for joining Dyslexia Uniquely Gifted and be blessed.